You're listening to the Bonfire Podcast, fanning the flames of the gospel to the ends of the world. Come on, let's dive into the Word. Welcome to the Bonfire Podcast, everyone. We are glad that you are joining us for another episode. If this is your first time stumbling on to our podcast, we want to say welcome to you. We encourage you to come in and stay a while, listen to what we have to say. And if you enjoy what you're hearing, we offer you the opportunity to subscribe and download our uh, content on a regular basis. For those of you who have been listening to us for quite some time, we want to say thank you you, to you for your support. And uh, we we really appreciate you sticking around and and then continuing to download and uh, hopefully telling other people about the podcast. And so with that, Dad, that leads me into my my next thing that I was going to talk to our listeners about today. I was looking at our um, statistics in terms of number of downloads and such. And as it stands right now for August, we're on track to to push our level or break the personal record of number of downloads that we have. And and so I just want to say thank you to our listeners who are doing doing that and who are sticking with us. And again, we encourage you to tell other people. Now, when I ask you to do that, uh, please understand we are not in a numbers game. We're not just trying to see the a number of downloads that we can get. It's it's our belief and our, our faith that this ministry is ordained by God, and we want it to, to be used by Him to bring other people to know Christ, to help uh, those of you who are out there who are already Christians. Maybe you're living in one of those nominal Christian lives that we've talked about on this podcast before, to be, to be drawn closer uh, to God, to really trade in just checking boxes of religion and digging in deep to His Word. And then we also feel like this uh, ministry has an opportunity to help uh, people around the world that maybe don't have access um, to full libraries of of commentaries and and, and, and biblical um, dictionaries and things like that to help them to listen to us, and then they can go and, and help their people that they're working with. And so that's the reason why we keep asking you to tell uh, people to share the news um, is so that we can get more folks in touch with uh, the gospel. That's the goal. Um, in terms of the actual number of downloads, I could care less, uh, but that's the only metric I have to really show uh, how far we're going. So I just ask you, uh, please find someone today. It could be a family. It could be a, uh, a friend that you can say, hey, try try the Bonefire podcast. It would be great if you would be willing to study with them. Um, I mm-hmm. think that that's the ideal thing. You know, Dad, we're called to be, uh, as Christians, we're called to be disciples and to make disciples. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's the, the piece that we oftentimes fall short on is really disciple making. Uh, right. A lot of times we'll evangelize, we'll tell someone about Christ, but that process of disciple making is taking that a step further and helping that person grow. And, and so, uh, you know, our podcast could be an opportunity for you to help disciple someone um, and study with them and bring them closer to the Lord as well. So that's right. Uh, that's just a little bit of what's on my heart this week. I just want to thank you guys again for listening. Thank you for downloading and ask that you continue to spread the word about what's going on here at the Bonefire Podcast. Well, uh, Dad, this is going to be our third week and what will probably be our final week uh, in our series through, or in our study through the Epistle of Jude. We've entitled this series, Contending for the Faith. And in this short series, we've seen Jude's urgent communication to the first century church regarding the rise of false teachers and the important need to contend for the faith. And as we've said multiple times uh, through the series, uh, Jude's uh, letter, his communication um, is just as relevant for today's readers um, as it was for that New Testament uh, or first century church uh, there in the New Testament. False teachers are still abound, and uh, weak or watered down doctrine seems to be everywhere in the modern church. And so uh, we really need to take Jude's warning to heart and actively contend for the faith. And so we're going to be finishing out our scripture today, uh, the rest of Jude, the epistle of Jude. And in this episode, we're going to see Jude's explanation for what it means to contend for the faith and how we can apply it to our lives. So uh, let's dive in into God's Word. If you got your Bible, I'd encourage you to turn with us to the epistle of Jude and follow along with us as we start reading at verse 17. Uh, So again, here at verse 17, it says, But you, beloved, remember the words that were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last times who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ until eternal life. And some have compassion, making distinction, but others have saved from from fear, pulling them from the fire, 
hating even the garment defiled by flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his holy glory uh, with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forever. Amen. So just a, a great set of scripture here uh, that we're going to be going through today, Dad, as we look at this and we start to unpack these uh, verses, you know, prior to um, Jude's benediction there at the end where he, he wraps up his letter, uh, I see that Jude gives us kind of a, a three-part recipe for contending for the faith. Right. And so I saw it as he says that we need to remember, we need to remain, and we need to respond and so I want us to take a closer look at that, and as we dive through, we'll, we'll pick these verses apart. Uh, first off, I want us to look at uh, to remember. Uh, Jude says we need to remember um, the apostles and their spoken words. Let's look here at, at how he starts verse 17. I want you to notice he starts with, but you. Dad, I love the three-letter word, but, in the Bible. You know, it's a word that, you know, sometimes uh, you may not think much about, but in the Bible, it has a lot of meaning because, and most of the time, it's used as a term of contrast. It's a, a change of direction. It shifts the focus. And many times, the phrase, but you, is specifically contrasting the child of God versus the evil world. Dad, as I was thinking about this kind of but you statement that gets used twice here in, in Jude's letter, I thought of another one, and this is probably my favorite use of that word, but you, and it's over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verses 9 through 11. Let me read this to you. It says, uh, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the fornicators, nor idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor the homosexuals, or sodomites, or thieves, or covetous, or drunkards, or revilers, or extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But listen to this. But you mm-hmm. were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And so I just love that that phrasing of but you. And Jude used that here, again, to contrast. He had been going through and really doing his strong denunciation of these false teachers. Last time we talked about, he described them, uh, you know, how we could tell what a false teacher looked like. And he used pretty strong language, right? Mm. I mean, he talked about them being, you know, clouds without rain and and trees without fruit. And, uh, and raging waves and wandering stars. He gave us all of those descriptors of what a false teacher looks like. But now he's transitioning and he's talking specifically about the child of God. And so Jude tells us to remember the spoken words uh, that were given by the apostles. Now, for the first church, uh, the first century church, this literally would have been the oral teachings of the apostles along with their written letters. But for us here now, it would be the New Testament that we would be using. Jude tells us to remember the Word of God, to remember the true message of the gospel. Yeah, I would like to point out something uh, about the title, Apostle. The word apostle, as used in the Bible, means one who is sent with a commission. Now, in order to qualify to be an apostle of Christ, a believer had to meet certain qualifications. Now, we know this from Acts chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Now, for background, after Judas the betrayer died, the early disciples of Jesus met uh, to replace Judas in recordance to what King David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said over in Psalm 55, verses 12 through 15. Now, listen to what the apostle Peter said pertaining to the qualifications of Judas's replacement. He said, therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to this day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Now, the main qualification for an apostle of Christ was that Judas's replacement had to be a witness of Jesus' resurrection. Now, the group proposed two men, Joseph called Barsabbas and Mattathias, and Mattathias was chosen to take Judas's place. Now, after this, the scripture speaks of one other man who became an apostle of Christ, that's Saul of Tarsus, and Jesus Christ personally chose him, commissioned him, and sent him out to bear testimony to the Gentiles. 
But just like the other apostles, he fit the qualification. He was a witness to the risen Christ, for Jesus himself appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus. Now, the role of the apostles was very important, for God spoke through them, inspiring them to write down his words for us. Now, when the church assembled the New Testament books, it was required that each book be written by an apostle or by someone closely associated with an apostle. For example, Mark, Mark's gospel. Uh, Mark was very close to Peter, and so many people believe that really Mark's gospel is basically Peter's gospel, for he got his information from Peter. Now, there were three basic responsibilities of the apostle Christ. Apostles of Christ. First, to lay the foundation of the church. In Ephesians 2.20, it says that the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Second, they were to receive and to write the very word of God for the church to study. Over in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 2 through 5, the apostle Paul said, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation, he meaning God made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it now has been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. And so, in other words, the apostles of Christ, these select ones, were to lay the foundation of the church. Now, we basically know that Jesus is the foundation and the chief cornerstone of the church, but the the foundation the apostles were to lay were to lay down the words of Jesus Christ as given to them by the Spirit of God. And they they received the Word of God, and they were to, to write the Word of God for the church. And third, they were to give confirmation of that Word through signs, wonders, and miracles. Over in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, Paul says, Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance, with signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Now, in the specific sense of the word apostle, there are no apostles living today. But there are apostles in the general sense referring to those who were sent out with the commission. Our modern-day equivalent would be missionaries that the church commissions and sends out to evangelize and start churches. Now, over in Acts 14.4, both Paul and Barnabas are referred to as apostles. Apostles Barnabas and Paul were sent out by the church in Antioch as missionaries. So Barnabas was an apostle of the church, an apostle in the general sense. Paul was an apostle in the specific sense and the general sense. In the specific sense, in the fact that he saw the resurrected Christ and was picked to lay the foundation of the church, which he did when he wrote the letters we have in the New Testament. And in the general sense, in the fact that he, like Barnabas, was sent out by the church at Antioch. Now, in Paul's day, false teachers to gain credibility would come into churches and use such lofty titles as apostle to get people to pay attention to them. Well, the apostle Paul spoke of these false teachers over in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. And I just want to read that passage to you because I think it's very pertinent to what we're talking about today. He said in verses 13 through 15 of 2 Corinthians 11, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. In other words, who come across as being uh, like Peter and, and Matthew and John, you know, and the apostle Paul, not apostle in the general sense of the word, like a missionary. And he says, And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Now, if people did this early on in the first century, when the church was in its infancy, to to take the lofty title of apostle, to give credibility to their words, to make them equal with Peter and Paul and, and John and Matthew. You can imagine that it is happening even more today. 
In uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 4, Paul said that these false teachers preached another gospel. And we're seeing this today. Some false teachers are going around using the title apostle to gain credibility, just like the false teachers during Paul's day and are preaching another Jesus. Now, let me give you some modern day examples. According to wikipedia.org, of which we all use primarily now as our encyclopedia. Some of the followers of Bill Johnson, senior pastor of Bethel Church in Redding, California, refers to him as apostle. He is one of the people Paul referred to who preaches another Jesus. His Jesus gave up being divine when he left the throne in heaven and came uh, to this earth. And the Bethel songs that uh, uh, churches today are are buying from Bethel music and Jesus culture. Uh, yeah, they sound pretty good, but they're praising a different Jesus, folks. Now, in the Mormon church, the Church of the Latter-day Saints, the president of the church is always called an apostle, as are members of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Now, the Mormons preach another Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible. They believe all men and women ever to be born, including Jesus Christ, live with God as spirit children before this life. In other words, that Jesus is our brother. Furthermore, Lucifer, or Satan, is also the brother of Jesus. This is not a description of the Jesus of the Bible. Uh, Lucifer, Satan, is a fallen angel. He is a created being. He was not created as one of the spirit children of God, and he is not the brother of Jesus Christ. Now, folks, open up your Bible. Uh, you that might be Mormons, we love you. Read. We're trying to help you. In Revelation, Jesus dictated a letter to be sent to the church at Ephesus. And in Revelation 2, 2, he said, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. Uh, the church at Ephesus exercised spiritual discernment. And, of course, that's what we're going to be talking about today is our way of battling these false apostles. And, of course, not all false teachers use that lofty title, apostle, but some do, folks. And I'll tell you what, when, uh, you know, when people come to us today and they say, God told me to tell you this— and I just cringe when I hear that. And Matt, I heard you say that you feel that way too. Now, mm -hmm. I as a pastor, sometimes I can feel led by God to say something to my congregation from the Word of God, from the Word of God. But when people say, God told me to tell you this, they are putting themselves, in my opinion, and and I think this is a right opinion, They I, they are putting themselves... Uh, and unless we misunderstand them, they're putting themselves in the position of an apostle, whether they call themselves one or not, someone who received direct revelation from God that is equal to what all the other apostles said. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, you know, I think that there's sometimes that, that phrase gets used just in, in well-meaning, right? I mean, I know when someone's going through a hard time, and you want to encourage them, you may say, well, you know, God told me to, to tell you, you know, this. And, and I think that, you know, in those circumstances, what they're really meaning is, you know, God laid it on your heart that this was a verse that would help them, or or this is something that, that may give them some encouragement, particularly when someone's, again, going through a tough time or or maybe has lost a loved one. But it's just, it's got a different context when you see uh, someone who is, uh, you know, presenting themselves to be a man of God, standing behind a pulpit, uh, pre preaching to a congregation, and makes a definitive statement like, God told me to tell you this, and he says it with such authority, and then proceeds to, to, to lay out this word that came from God that doesn't relate to the scripture. That to me is when you, it really makes me cringe. You know, when I, when I see that, I'm just like, Oh, this is, this is bad. Right. This is bad. Even, even if that was not the intent behind it, you just, it just feels wrong right. uh, when, when you see it presented that way. And so uh, Jude tells us, you know, we got to be thinking about what the apostles say. And dad, you gave a great um, kind of rendition there of who apostle is. It's not just anyone that says apostle is who we're supposed to listen to. Jude's referring to the apostles mm -hmm. and, and that would have been those that were uh, the disciples of Jesus. It would have been those that were closely related to Jesus, those that had seen the resurrected Christ, as you outlined there. And so these would have been the, for these first century Christians, this would have been oral teaching. This would literally been, they sat up under and they listened to Peter as he was preaching his sermon. 
And uh, so Jude's calling them to remember that message that he, that he talked about. Or maybe they were over there with, with Luke, and Luke was, was preaching one day, and they heard what Luke was saying. He's calling them to remember that. And then obviously they did have the letters, because these letters were written in their time, and it was given to them. They didn't have the benefit of having everything compiled together in a, in a New Testament like we do. Right. Uh, but that's what Jude was calling them to, to think about the words that these apostles said. Think about these letters. And for us, it would be meditate on this New Testament what is saying here, and why is this important, Dad? I found three things that this is important for. Uh, the first is testing. And so Jude wanted his readers to test what was being said by these false teachers to see if it aligned with what the apostles had said. Mm-hmm. He wanted them to be able to, to answer the question, is this truly the message of the gospel that they're preaching? And if it's not, then they were to push it, push it aside as false that's teaching. Right. Mm-hmm. So, And that's just as important for us today. I would encourage you. Now, those of you who are listening to us to pod, uh, on a podcast, chances are we're not the only podcast you listen to. And you're listening to other people. You may be listening to other forms of media. Some of them may be religious. Some of them may not. But I would tell you the same direction there that Jude has given is that you need to apply to things that you're listening to. You need to test them against the Word of God. You need to test and see what the person's saying. And does that align with the Scripture? If it doesn't align, you need to get away from them. Mm-hmm. I would encourage you to do, even do that for us. Now, I, I feel strongly that we're preaching just from the Bible, and that's it. And so you, you should find that we align just, just as we should, but you should test everything that you're hearing right. and make sure that it, it meets this test. Does it match the gospel? Does it match the Word of God? That's what Jude was telling his readers, and that's what he's telling us today. The second thing that I saw he, was, is, he told us to do this for is because there is a warning in their messages, mm-hmm. right? All throughout the New Testament, in these letters, uh, we talk about Second Peter. Second Peter was writing about false teachers coming. Right. Uh, we, we talked about this uh, when we talked about First uh, John, our series there. He talked about false teachers and the rise of, of false doctrine. It's, it's all throughout the, the New Testament. You see there was this concern by the apostles that there were going to be those that were going to come into the midst of the believers and would try to lead them astray with false teaching and false doctrine. And so Jude's saying, hey, remember, they told you that these people were coming and that they would be here in the last days. Now, I'm here to tell you that they're here right now, and you need to be watching out for them. That's exactly right. Hey, just over in Second Peter uh, chapter 2, listen to how Peter starts out uh, chapter 2. But... There were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed by covetousness. They will exploit you with deceptive words for a long time. Their judgment has has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Folks, uh, Peter, like we've told you before, uh, Peter, Second Peter that was written before Jude wrote uh, his letter, he said, uh, false teachers are coming. Jude said, they're here. Exactly. And Dad, I think this is important, This is to know that these warnings are there, and they're throughout the, the, the New Testament, and to heed these warnings. And we've talked about it, Dad, as we've been doing this study. It's kind of been eye-opening to me. Uh, and, and it's kind of changed my mind about how I should look at at discerning uh, whether someone's telling truth or not, because I was in a mode of where it was fairly easy to call a false teacher, the guy who's on TV saying, send me $10,000 in the mail and you're going to be healed of all your uh, ailments and you're going to get a million dollars in the check in the mail that's going to come two weeks from now. Right. It's very easy to look there and say, oh, that's a false teacher. And you turn it off. Mm-hmm. But what's harder is there's a lot more mainstream uh, Christian uh, broadcast and, and pastors and and even Bible studies and literature that sold right there in the midst of of uh, you know where you would buy good good stuff good clean commentaries that's got false teaching in it right. and and that was for me was hard as I didn't want to call that false teaching because I'm like oh no that's not false teaching I mean that that, that surely that's not false teaching because I, I just had this resistance that, that, that I didn't want to call it out or I didn't want to look and I didn't want to say it was. Mm-hmm. But this warning is here that it's, it's that false teachers were already there in the early church. They had already come on the scene back then. And how much more are they here now? Right. And it's not just the TV evangelist that's asking for your money who's a false teacher. It could be someone that looks very well-meaning who's got a suit and tie on in front of you and they just talk all polished and they give you the best motivational speech you've ever heard. 
But if it doesn't relate back to the Word of God and doesn't align with His Word, that's false teaching, no matter how good it looks or right. how good it sounds. Going back over to Second Peter, where Peter wrote about false teachers, he described them as having a lifestyle characterized by sexual lust, not only just being covetous, wanting your money, but a lifestyle of sexual lust. And so think about all the examples of people that, that uh, were uh, on the stage, so to speak, that fell due to sexual lust. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying all of them were were false teachers, but I would say probably many of them were false teachers. And one thing that we're seeing, and I'm going to reach, and I'm going to get to this in just a little bit, about the divisions that false teachers cause. But, you know, one of the great divisions in the United Methodist Church is being uh, caused today by um, people that want to come in, ministers, uh homosexual women, lesbians that are filled with sexual lust and and they want to have the pulpit. They want to have the pulpit. And folks, wake up. This is told about in the scriptures, things like this were going to happen. Mm-hmm. That's right. And look at verses 18 and 19. It says, how you were told the there will be mockers in the last day who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. Verse 19, it says, uh, these are sensual people and will cause divisions not having the, the spirit and so that that speaks exactly to what you're saying it's 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 uh it's unfortunate but unfortunately it's that sensual sexual sin I've, sometimes is is the the most characterizing thing about these false teachers that seems to be the 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 thing that just they go by uh and, right. and it's not exactly sure why but that's that seems to be the case and and so going back to why it's important for us to to think about the words spoken by the apostles, or in our case, the words that were written by the apostles. This is the inspired Word of God. The third thing that I see is that there's protection from division. And Dad, you said you were going to talk about that. Let's discuss that a little bit more. Notice in verse 19, Jude clearly states that these false teachers cause divisions in the body of Christ. And one of the reoccurring themes of the apostles, as they taught and they wrote, was unity. Unity in the church. Unity is important. Unity is precious. The devil loves to see divisions in the body of the Christ because when there are divisions, the body of Christ is less effective at fulfilling his call and his mission. That's right. Talking about how false teachers cause division, I I really experienced that. I am 61 years old, and I became a full-time pastor in 1985. I started out in ministry part-time uh, as youth minister in the summers in 1979, started preaching then. Well, it was about that time that I started into the ministry that we started uh, seeing uh, division in the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm a Southern Baptist. And the division had to do with uh, doctrine. The false teachers had gotten into our seminaries I, I actually attended Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. I went there in uh, August of 1982, graduated in December of 1984, and the, the school was filled with false teachers. I mean, I would take classes in apocalyptic literature, and, you know, man, I was interested in learning about uh, Daniel and the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation, and uh, and. and these people just denied the Word of God. So many of them did. And so I could definitely see where there was stark contrast. The The local Southern Baptist churches, the ones that I grew up in, were Bible-believing churches, and the Word of God was preached, and, and uh, people studied and read the Word of God and defended the faith. But in the seminary, see, that's where Satan wanted to slip in, uh, where the ministers, the future ministers, were being trained to corrupt them with, uh, with heresy. And so I saw that myself. And, and then other great leaders in our denomination, they knew what was going on, and they knew that uh, up in the, uh, the higher parts of our denominational leadership, uh, false teachers and heretics and what we'd call uh, terrible liberals that had given in to uh, German higher criticism. They had taken over, and, and it was about to to destroy our denomination, or it could 
And, and it was going to trickle down to the local church eventually. And so a stand was taken against it. And for about 10 years, uh, there were more people than ever seemingly attended the Southern Baptist Convention. I remember attending one convention during those early years, and there were either forty to 45,000 people that showed up in some messengers. Now, we'd do good today to get 12, 15,000 people, but it was 40 to 45,000. The grassroots Baptist people that believed in the Word of God showed up, and they uh, they voted in conservative men to be the president who, who uh, had a great uh, leadership and guiding uh, this ship that uh, the convention, the Baptist convention that had went astray back to port. And I remember one time hearing uh, the uh, the uh, W.A. Crystal, who was the pastor at that time, he's old then, pastor, First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. He preached a message entitled, Whether We Live or Die, Whether We Live or Die. And he was challenging the, the, uh, the Bible-believing pastors to stand up to error, and they did. And so, of course, now, Today, the Southern Baptists are, are, are battling in some respects, in some, in some areas, wokeism. And, of course, we're not going to get into that, and, uh, et cetera. And uh, hyper-Calvinism, of which I am not a hyper-Calvinist, I want you to know. Uh, but they're battling that today. But, but thank God it is not what it was 35, 40 years ago when I, I started out in the ministry. But, hey, here's something else where a division is happening today in another major denomination because of liberal heretics, uh, false teachers. I'm talking about the United Methodist Church. The United Methodist Church, with a membership of some 6.5 million, uh, over a year ago announced a plan to split the church because of bitter divisions over, listen now, same-sex marriage and the ordination of openly gay clergy. Now, for the division to be official, now they decided to divide, but for it to be official, the 2020 General Conference of the Church uh, would have to approve the plan. Now, this was talked about in 2019, and so the, the, the day was set in 2020 at the General Conference. That happens every four years. There's going to be a divorce among the Methodists. Well, individual churches would then vote on what side to join. The more uh, conservative Methodist denomination that would come out would be called the Global Methodist Church. The departing churches will be allowed to take their property with them. Now, this meeting for this divorce was to have taken place, as I said, in 2020. It, it was not allowed because of COVID. You would have thought they would have did it in 2021. It had been so pressing. They did not. And so the 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 general conference to discuss this and vote on this division, this divorce, is going to be August the 29th to September the 6th, 2022, in the Minneapolis Convention Center. And if the split happens, the Global United Methodist Church would receive $25 million over the next four years. Now, in a two, 2019 special session of the General Conference, um, it strengthened its ban on the ordination and marriage of LGBTQ United Methodists. And, uh, and that's a good thing. And that's what's led uh, to these that, that want to stay in the denomination and keep LGBTQ um, ministers, that's caused them to, oh, we're going to divorce now. Well, you know, if they would just went by to vote in 2019, that special session, the, uh, the United Methodist Church uh, would not be having LGBTQ uh, ministers. You see, now they realize these liberals in the Methodist denomination, hey, we've got no way of winning, and so we're just going to allow a divorce, and we're going we're going to keep the name United Methodist, and we're gonna we're gonna let these that that were are in the majority when it come to that vote, we're gonna let them leave. Where are you, Methodists? The, uh, the website of the new denomination, the Global United Methodist, says that it will be a new church rooted in Scripture and the historic and life-giving teachings of the Christian faith. And I certainly hope so. Some traditional United Methodist churches are not waiting for this split and are taking the hard way out in Christianity today. Alan Talkington, uh, a member of the dis 
affiliation team of Boyce United Methodist Church, a 100-member congregation in Ohio, said the decision to leave the United Methodist denomination came after years of frustration with East Ohio Conference for not valuing the church's conservative doctrinal stance on issues such as homosexuality and not finding conservative ministers to serve the church. He said out of the last 10 pastors, there might have been three or four who fit our doctrine. And uh, the church hired its most recent pastor without the help of the annual conference. Way to go, church. But the move out of the the uh, United Methodist denomination came as at a cost to this little church of 100 members. The church had to pay a hefty financial obligation to their former United Methodist conference, a $92,000 fee on the way out the door. And another church, the United Church of Al- Tona uh, paid 120000 to leave the Illinois Great Rivers Conference began in, began in 1979. And so, folks, isn't that something that uh, churches today, are, are to even leave, are having to fork out the money uh, to support a group that is definitely against the Word of God? Now, folks, you that are United Methodists, we love you. And there's a lot of wonderful methods. Of course, we I think Wesley was a fantastic preacher, and, and that was one of the most conservative and evangelical denominations in the mid-1800s, probably the largest Protestant denomination at that time. But, uh, but look what's happening, folks. And I tell you what, if you're a member of United Methodist Church and you believe the Bible, come out from among them, says the Lord. I, I, God wants you to come out from among them. You know, don't be a part of a, a group of people uh, that that have false teachers uh, that espouse sexual impurity. Don't be a part of that, let alone liberal beliefs. And uh, so come out among them, folks. That's exactly right, Dad. And, you know, uh, what you're talking about there is division within that denomination, and that's exactly what Jude was was saying, is that uh, these false teachers ultimately are going to result in division in the body of Christ. Right. And again, whenever there's division, the devil is happy. Oh, Satan, he loves division because when there's division, uh, the body of Christ is not effective in their ministry uh, that God's called them to be. And so um, that's why it's important uh, for testing, for warning, and the protection from a division. Uh, that's why we need to remember what the apostles and what the Word of God says. Well, we're going to move on, and we're going to look at the second part of uh, of Jude's three-part recipe uh, for contending for the faith. The second, he said, is we need to remain. So Jude calls us to remain in the Christian life, and this is in verses 20 and 21. Since it's been just a few minutes since we read that, let's look at that together again. It says, here's another one of those statements. It starts with, but you, beloved building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercies of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And so uh, we're supposed, what, what Jude's telling us here is he's calling us to remain in, in our Christian life. And now you may be saying, well, exactly how do we do that? Well, Jude gives us several things that we can do to remain in the Christian life. The first thing that he says is that we can build our faith or build your faith. And Dan, as I was thinking about how you build your faith, um, well, the the easy thing to do there and the most notable thing to do there is that you need to read and meditate on God's Word. Uh, Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from the Word of God. Mm -hmm. And so we need to spend time in His Word. Now, what you're doing right now, listening to a podcast is great. And that's that's, that's great to listen to to preaching and teaching and, and all different things like that. But it doesn't substitute actually getting into God's Word and reading it for yourself and taking time to think about what do these words say. Because when you read God's words on paper, that's God talking to you. And so you need to, to take that time to read God's word, meditating on it daily. And then we need to spend time in prayer. And Dad, I think for prayer, um, I think most Christians, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't spend enough time on mm-hmm. pra- in prayer. And, uh, you know, prayer should be more than uh, saying a blessing at, at before your meal or maybe saying uh, uh, evening prayer before you go to sleep. There needs to be a time in your day where you're getting down on your knees and that you're, you're really spending time in prayer. It could be 15, could 20, be 20, could be an hour long session of, of spending time talking to God and taking your needs to him and asking for him to provide for uh, for what you need to provide you 
the strength to get through uh, the day, to, to provide you, uh, to equip you with all the things that you need to live the Christian life, to, to put on the armor of God. Those are all things that you need to spend time praying uh, to God about. And then the last thing that you need to do is you need to share God's love with others. I think it was Billy Sunday. uh, He was a great evangelist. He used to tell all the new Christians that came uh, to be Christians under his ministry, he gave them, he said, if you want to be successful in Christian living, you need to do three things. You need to read God's word and let God talk to you. Again, that's reading God's word on Mm -hmm. paper is God talking to you. You need to talk to God. Okay, that was number two. That's praying. And then you need to tell others about God. That's three things. And he said that's what leads to successful Christian living. We try to make it difficult. And I think about it, Dad, if you go into any given bookstore, you'll find— Oh, a Christian bookstore, you'll find walls and walls of, of books written about Christian living and, and, and how to live a better Christian life and all that. But really, it boils down to those three things, uh, mm-hmm. getting in God's Word, spending time reading His Word, praying to God, and then doing what God called you to do, which is to share His Word with other people. Right. You know, um, you talked about praying, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to know, those of you that are in the podcast audience, this is not an ecstatic form of prayer but consistently praying in the will and the power of God's Spirit. And I think it is very important to let the Holy Spirit lead us in what to pray for. Uh, Oftentimes, I get down praying, and and there are certain things I already have in my mind that I'm going to be praying for. I'm a pastor. I know the people in the church, and I I know uh, the, the names of the children that I want to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and the adults and and the people that have problems that they're dealing with. But, uh, but you know, you always, when you first get down on your knees, you don't have everything that perhaps on your mind, on the front of your mind that God wants you to pray for. But as you get to praying and you get to talking and fellowshipping with God, I think the Holy Spirit lays on your heart other things to pray for. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people get up before they've given uh, adequate time for God to speak uh, to them uh, through the Holy Spirit, guiding them and what to pray for. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that, uh, certainly. Yeah, if you're just doing that quick prayer, uh, saying a couple things and that's it, and you're not actually spending time just, you know, really praying. And, and sometimes prayer uh, doesn't have to be audible words coming out of your mouth. You know, there's there's times where prayer is just you being quiet. And you're just waiting and, and, and listening for the Holy Spirit again to, to kind of guide you to where you need to pray. The other thing I think about when I see this uh, praying in the Holy Spirit, Dad, is, you know, there there have been times in my life where I was uh, so down out and distraught about what was going on in my life and the situation that I didn't even know what to pray, right? Right. And in those times... Uh, I think there's good biblical justification for this. There's two things that happen. We know that Jesus intercedes for us right. before the Father. I like that. Yeah. Um, and that we also know that, that the Holy Spirit is our helper and uh, will also work to to bring about our needs before the Father. And so there's been times where, and, and, and I encourage you, if you ever get into this situation, you don't know what to pray. I'm telling you, it's a great prayer is just to say, I agree with Jesus. I agree with the Holy Spirit. Like just, just say that you're that. That is me. When I do that, I'm saying, God, I don't. I don't even know how to put it into words. I don't even know how how I can express this. But I'm just trusting and knowing that Jesus and the Holy Spirit know exactly what I need, and so I agree with them. Right. That's and, right. and so that's a, a place that if you find your yourself and and to where you just don't even know how to pray, you don't know what words to say. You don't. You, you can't even get the emotional energy to to put forth what what's on your heart. Just pray and say, I agree with Jesus. I, I, he knows. He knows my needs. He knows my heart. And I agree with whatever he's He's interceding for me. Pray pray uh, for the will of God in That's your right. life and in the lives of other people. You know, I, I think that our prayers are to be focused more uh, on others than ourselves. That's exactly right. Yeah. I really believe that. Well, here's another thing that he points out in verse 21. Uh, in the light of false teachers that we're to do, Jude said, keep yourselves in the love of God. To love God is to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. We please him by doing the things that he commands us to do. That's exactly right. And so Dan, uh, that's the, the third point there. And, and what I had written down here is to remember that love is a reciprocal emotion. 
And so God loves us. And when he says, let's keep in God's love, that doesn't mean that we can get away from God's love. God's going to love you regardless of even how stupid we are sometimes. God's love is still there. But love is a reciprocal emotion. And that means that we, as God loves us, we need to return love unto him. And as we love uh, Christ and we uh, grow in our faith and we grow in obedience, our love for God grows deeper. It's kind of like love for your children or love for your spouse. You know, most people who are married, you can say that, you know, you love the person you're with more today than you did before. It's not that your love's really anymore. It's just a, it's a difference. It's special. It's a deeper kind of love. And the same can be said for the father. And so that's what Jude was saying is, is grow in love and get deeper in your love with God. And you do that by growing in faith and obedience with Christ. The last thing that Jude says, do dad is, is look for God's mercy until the end. Now, Jude knew that the Christian life, that in the Christian life, that we were also going to need hope. And the hope that, that we need can be found, as he puts it, by looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now, the word translated, looking, means earnestly expecting. It describes the attitude of life uh, that is motivated, motivated by the promise of our Lord's return. Not only is our salvation from sin a gift of God's mercy, but it's also uh, the deliverance of his church from this evil world. That's God's mercy as well. And so the truths, these truths, give us hope. Um, and this hope, as as Hebrews uh, verse six and sorry, chapter six, verse nineteen, uh, says, is our anchor. It's the anchor for our soul. It's firm and it's secure. And so, you know, Dad, I was as I was thinking about how to apply this to our life. Um, if I wrap this up in just one statement here, I would say, when you know how the story ends, there's hope, there's peace, and there's rest for the weary heart. And uh, as I was uh, studying this, this particular point out of everything that we're talking about resonated the most with me. Um, and, I, and it's just because of where we are. And I'm going to give two kind of examples. Um, one's a, a lighthearted example. And one's a serious example about this, this particular point. My lighthearted example is uh, we are one week away from college football starting back. Mm-hmm. Uh, college football, a game, first game will be played August 28th. So that's next Saturday. And you and I both like college football. We enjoy watching college football. Um, and I will be watching this year as long as they stay out of this wokeness political stuff. If they get into that, I'm going to turn it off. I'm going to be honest with you. Right. I don't want to see it. Um, but uh, but until that time, I'll be watching. And one thing about college football, and we're Tiger fans, Clemson Tiger fans. Mm-hmm. When I watch a Clemson Tiger game live, I get nervous. Mm-hmm. I get kind of anxious. I get butterflies because I want to see the team do well. I want them to win. Um, it's just a game. It is. Right. But you still have this kind of hope that they'll they'll go undefeated or they'll make it to a championship. And and so when that's on the line, it gives you a little bit of butterflies in, in your stomach. But what I find interesting is, is here in the last couple of weeks on the sports channels, they've been replaying the games from last year. Mm-hmm. And when I watched that same Clemson game that I was nervous and I was tore up about, I, I wasn't sure if we were going to win. When I watch it now... I can watch it in peace. <laughs> yeah. You know why? Because I know how it ends. I know the outcome. Right. And so when I look at that game, I sit there and I was like, oh, yeah, we, we fumbled the ball right there on the one-yard line, but it's okay. I, I know we're going right. to win this game. Right. Or oh, we threw an interception right there on the 20-yard line. You know, they're getting ready to score. I know how it ends, and I have I have peace. So that's my, my lighthearted example about yeah. this particular scripture. My serious example is, is is literally looking at, at our life and, and, and my life right now. And if, if I have to say the last, say, two weeks has been tough. Mm-hmm. I mean, the last two weeks has just been, it's been rough, uh, particularly in our community. Uh, you think about the things that are going on, and many of you have the same things going on in the communities where you are. Uh, COVID-19, which we thought we were done with, has come raging back. Right. With a vengeance. I mean, I know more people who are sick with COVID-19 right now than I did in the peak of it in the first wave. That's right. And uh, we lost a young man in our community, a father of three, 36 years old, healthy guy, died of COVID-19. That hit our community hard, mm-hmm. right? We, and, and it's not to downplay others' deaths. We know that there have been many deaths. It's tragic how many people have died from COVID-19. But that one hit really close to home. And then you think about all the political divisions and, and just the, the the economy seems to be slowing and, and no one wants to work. You go places and, and there's no one there. They've got signs up and say, please be patient. We don't have any workers. And you think just what's going on 
And then you turn it on your TV and you watch literally bodies fall from a plane that's 30,000 feet in the air, fall to the ground as people were trying to get out of Afghanistan. Holding on to the outside of the plane. Holding on to the outside of the plane. And I'll be honest with you, if I look at these two weeks, I'm just like, man, this is tough. Life is tough. This world is, is tragic. It's hard. And I get to thinking about it, and it's very easy to get to a point where you're discouraged, and you, you lose hope, you lose faith. Uh, but then I'm reminded, like this verse says, I have to look to the promise that Jesus is going to come back mm-hmm. and that I know how this story ends. And yes, it looks really bad right now, but there's coming a day where God's going to split that eastern sky wide open and he's going to come back and he's going to make all the wrongs right. He's going to restore the order that we long for. He's going to reinstate righteousness. And it's going to be a wonderful time when that occurs. Mm-hmm. But we have to hold on to that hope for right now because when I look around me, I mean, I I just see everything going wrong, everything going bad. I see right is now wrong, wrong is now right, and, you know, just just division and divisiveness everywhere. Hatred seems to be all over the place. Our our leaders don't seem to know how to lead. It's just a terrible situation. But it's the hope that I have in the return of Jesus Christ that allows me to get through it. I don't understand how people that don't have God in their life do it, Dad. Because I, here, I'm, I'm going to give a farmer's example. There is not enough Pepto-Bismol and Xanax to get someone through what we're going through right now. Mm-hmm. It's just not. And and if it wasn't for this anchor, uh, this this hope of looking to, to Jesus Christ and looking to eternal life and knowing that this is not the end, then I don't see how someone gets through it. And so that's what that verse spoke to me this week and just really spoke to my heart is uh, is looking to the future, looking to the end, and knowing that we do have satisfaction knowing how this story does end. You know, salvation from sin is a gift from God's mercy as well as the deliverance of his church. And I'm talking about his people from evil when Jesus comes back again. That's exactly right. And we're we're running long on this one, guys. And so we're going to speed up here a little bit. I want you to look at the third um, example or the third part of this recipe that Jude gives us. And that is to respond, uh, to respond. And so let's look at verses 22 and 23. It says, And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them from the fire, hating even the garments defiled by flesh. And so uh, in this section here, uh, Jude tells us that if we're, we're going to really contend for the faith, we need to be ready to respond to our brothers and sisters that may get entangled in false teaching. And we need to be ready to go to them and to help them. Uh, but he says that when we do so, we need to be careful and we need to use discernment to understand the best way to respond. And in verses 22 and 23, we see that Jude tells us there's likely uh, two, some people say three approaches, but I say two approaches that we have for, for believers who get entangled in false teachings and how we're to, to respond to them. The first method or the first approach is the approach of compassion. He says that we should be compassionate toward them. And I like to take this approach and and think it as this. I would say this would get used for, say, a a new or a young Christian, uh, someone that is new in their faith. They get really excited about the things of God and they want to read and they want to study. And so they just go out and they're consuming everything they can find. And in the midst of everything, we all know that not everything's good, and they find some false teaching, and and they get kind of uh, set a, uh, on the wrong path with some false teaching. Now, that young Christian, uh, you don't want to go to them and just blast them and say, what are you doing? This is false teaching. This is wrong. Don't listen to that, because that's going to crush their spirit. Um, I heard it. I heard one commentary that I read behind said, is, uh, young Christians are like little children. You tell them no. Well, that's just going to make them want to do it even more. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so for these, you got to approach with love and compassion and say, hey, you know, I'm concerned about some of the things that you're, you're, you're reading or you're listening to or you're watching. L- let's meet together and let's study together God's word and see if you can lovingly bring them back on the path of the straight and narrow. That would be the, the approach Jude is telling us. There's some that that's the right approach. However, there are those that you need the five alarm fire is what I call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Jude said there's going to be some that need to be pulled out of a fire in a quick, hasty manner, like a fireman pulling someone from a burning building to save their life. I think this would be someone that maybe you're real close to, uh, maybe someone that's a friend or a family member that's maybe a mature Christian, 
someone that that knows uh, and has been around uh, the faith for quite some time, and they've just gotten head over heels mixed up in some false teaching. Well, that's the kind of people you go and you shake them, and you go and you have to say, "What are you doing? This is false. This is wrong. This is not what we believe. This is not the teaching of God's word." And you literally pull them from where they're at. Uh, I gave Dad the example here before we got started. I said, "You know, the five alarm fire is when Grandma's getting ready to send ten thousand dollars to the TV evangelist. <laughs> yeah, that's the time for five alarm fire." Okay. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's the time where you, you have to shake grandma and say, Grandma, come on, you know this. This is not God's word. This is not the teaching of God's word. Let's sit down and talk through this. And and you pull them back from the fire. But Jude tells us when we do this, when we're when we're responding, we need to be careful because in both cases, uh, we don't need to get entangled or ensnared in the false teachings ourselves as we're responding to others. And at the very end of uh, verse 22, uh, 23 there, Dad, he uses uh, Jude uses a, a term here. It talks about uh, being defiled, a garment being defiled by flesh. You had some interesting thoughts on that. Uh, that's exactly right. Uh, the the words garment defiled by the flesh are interesting to take note of. The word garment refers to the clothing that people of that day wore under their outer tunics. It was their underwear. The word translated polluted means to stain or to spot. By the flesh means to be stained by bodily function. Just as no one wants to handle someone's dirty underwear and be defiled, so we should be extremely cautious of getting too close to the spiritual defilement of those corrupted by false teachers. Even in trying to bring them to Christ, Christians must exercise great caution and wisdom. That's exactly right. And so that's the the third step of of the three-part recipe there. So uh, Jude tells us that we are to remember, to remain, and then to respond to those in need. The last uh, verses here in the book of Jude is Jude's benediction. And let's read those together just one more time, starting at verse 24. It says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. You know, Dad, in this uh, benediction to Jude's short letter, there's some powerful truths packed in verse 24, uh, where he talks about uh, that the one who can keep us from stumbling. When, when we walk with Jesus um, and we keep our walk with Jesus, and we can live a Christian life that's without stumbling on false teaching. Mm-hmm. Because when that's when our focus, when our focus is on Jesus and his word and God's word, uh, then we can keep from stumbling. And one day uh, we will make it to the point where we will present it flawless before God the Father. I like to think about this. He's, what he's speaking to here is there's going to be one day where God the Father is going to look uh, to the Son and say, go get, your, go get my children. And, uh, and Jesus is going to take off and he's going to bring uh, with him all the saints and he's going to present them to the Father as what's referred to as his bride. Right. And we're all going to be there, even of us, those of us who have sinned and failed and fallen short. All of us have, uh, but all of that's going to be wiped away, and we're going to be faultless. We're going to be blemishless, uh, blemishless uh, and we're going to stand before God, and he's going to have exceeding joy over us as his children. And so I just find that as amazing truth. Uh, that was just some encouragement there that, that Jude gives to his readers to say, hey, you're not in this alone. And that if you put your focus in the right place, you put it on God and you walk with him, uh, then you're going to make it successful without getting trapped in this uh, false teaching. And then those last words, they are just beautiful. To God, our Savior, uh, who alone is wise, be glory, majesty, dominion, power, both now and forever. Amen. And that's just a great way. Uh, to end our our series here is on that note. So I hope you enjoyed our uh, series that we've done here, Contending for the Faith. Like I said, this is, I think that we're going to conclude this series here uh, on this since we finished our our work. We had thought about doing another episode, but I think we've got it covered with what we've done here uh, today. And so I would encourage you, uh, study through the book of Jude, take Jude's warning to heart uh, that there are false teachers there. They're all around and there's false doctrine. Be careful what you listen to, be careful what you watch, be careful what you read, test it against the word of God, make sure it it aligns with the original gospel message and uh, don't be led astray is, is, is the, the, the guide and the warning that Jude gives us here. So, uh, Dad, thanks for doing this series. It's been a great one. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it, son. And so, uh, if you will, pray us out of here. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, you know we love you, and we're glad you love us. We're appreciative, Lord, of uh, the mercy and the grace that we have received from you. 
Lord, you're not giving us what we deserve. And Lord, you're giving us what we don't deserve. That's heaven. Now, Lord, there are perhaps some in the podcast audience that have not accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And as such, they haven't been yet recipients of your mercy and grace. We want them to come to know you. I pray, Father, that if there are those that are under conviction today about their their relationship with you and as to whether or not they truly are saved, that God, that you'd help them to make sure of their salvation or help those, Lord, that are just hearing about Jesus to accept him as their Lord and Savior. Now, Father in heaven, help us uh, to, to be alert to false teachers that would slip in. And Lord, to, to be very cautious about what we read and, and always match it up with the Word of God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonefire Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe wherever you stream your podcast content. Also, be sure to rate us on iTunes and Facebook so that others will know about the podcast. If you have a question that you'd like to see us address on an episode, feel free to email us at bonefireministries at gmail.com.